Well, good morning, church family. I don't know why y'all didn't wear the same shirts as the first five or six rows did this morning. Youth, we're glad y'all are here. We are celebrating this weekend and what God did at uh, the D-Now that y'all have. We're grateful to see y'all this morning. And I am so thankful for our chaperones this morning. Uh, so grateful for Brad and the, the crew of chaperones that went this weekend. Um, if they fall asleep this morning, just let them sleep. In fact, find a blanket and just put it over them. All right. Uh, they, they, uh, we are grateful for how they serve. We are grateful for this weekend. We celebrate what God has done. And I, I feel like our sermon lines up as we, we talk about the necessity of a family of faith uh, this morning. So I'm going to invite you to turn back to Daniel chapter 1. As you are turning, I'm going to allow our kids, children's church age, to be dismissed to Children's Church as we come back into this chapter today. Who will Dixie Baptist Church be in 2024? Last week we turned into Daniel 1 to answer that. I said we would need two weeks in this chapter. We're going to take three. Um, Last week we drew out two things primarily. Number one, the first thing to living faithfully in exile is to recognize that we are, as the body of Christ, actually exiles. We are members of the kingdom of God, living in the kingdoms of this world that are so often opposed to God. Now, in America, for a, th- for a time, we, we thought we had the home team advantage as the church, that the, the crowd was behind us. But I think we're seeing increasingly we're playing an away game. That the home crowd doesn't embrace our beliefs and values and ethics. And yet at the same time, we we keep going forward into the kingdoms of this world, advancing the gospel of Christ, making disciples in this world. So first thing we notice is that we are actually exiles. And the second thing is we live in Babylon, but we can't be like Babylon. Now when I use that title Babylon, I don't mean that ancient empire that existed where modern day Iraq is. What I mean is that world system that is opposed to God and it's often referred to in the Bible in that symbolic title of Babylon. The church is to be distinct from the culture both in terms of what we believe and in how we live. And I'll tell you the church does the most good in Babylon when we look the least like Babylon. So, we define where we are, that we are in Babylon, and we define who we are. We are exiles. And I think it's right for us to embrace that language of exiles. We see this is how Peter addressed the recipients of his first letter. He began, I, Peter, or Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He recognized they were exiles dispersed among the nations of the world, and church, that has not changed in the last 2,000 years. Next week, I want to come back into this chapter and look at the outward impact that the church has in and on Babylon. I think that's important. We don't want to miss that. But today, I want to concentrate on an inward aspect of the church. And that is how do we help each other, not only to 
stay faithful in Babylon, but to thrive in our Christian faith that's often opposed by Babylon. So here's our theme this morning. Dixie Baptist Church is a community of faith that intentionally worships together, disciples one another, and encourages one another to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. Let's go back into Daniel 1. If you're able, I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read to you the entire chapter. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for Dixie Baptist Church. I am honored to serve as their pastor. What a gift. I'm honored, hopefully even more so, to just be part of this family of faith where I can grow in my faith, where I have people that help me learn more about you, incorporate more of the Christian life into how I live, who as iron sharpens iron, help sharpen me. Lord, I need your church. We all need your church. And God, I am so thankful for young people who put their faith in Jesus 
this weekend, and I pray for them, they will love the church, that they will, for all of us, that we would be involved in your church, that we would come and be disciple, become disciple-making disciples, and that you would continue to sanctify and grow us and help us as we stand in the kingdoms of this world and the Babylons that you place us in, that we would be members who stand for the kingdom of God. And as kingdom members who reach out to the Babylons of this world with the good news that there is a Savior who came from heaven, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, exalted at the right hand of God, who will return. And this Jesus can save anybody from their sin if they will turn to him in faith. God, the task before me this morning is heavy. I pray, Lord, for the Spirit of God to equip me to speak and your people to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we saw last week that the main theme in the book of Daniel is the sovereignty of God. God sent Babylon to besiege Israel, who are known as the people of God. This is God's doing. God had Israel go into exile in Babylon. God had these four young men go into exile in Babylon. Now listen, that should not make us doubt the goodness of God. God had a purpose for all this, and God does not abandon these four young men in Babylon. They refuse to conform to their surrounding culture and they live out their faith and thereby in Babylon bring glory to God in the Babylon of their world. And to those on the first six rows or so here, I want to remind you that these guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were about 13 to 16 years of age when all of this happens in their lives. And so we see for them, they remain faithful, but... But I want to look deeper than just that they stayed faithful in Babylon. I want us to see, well, how did they stay faithful in Babylon? How did they resist assimilating to the theology, to the values, to the ethics that Babylon was flooding them with day by day? Babylon sought to change them at such a fundamental part of their identity that includes their very names. Look at that. I mean, it's easy to read through verses 6 and 7 and not think much about them, but they get their names changed as they're there. Daniel's name means God is my judge. But they change it to Belteshazzar, which means Bel, which is a Babylonian god, protect his life. The name Hananiah, original name of this guy, means Yahweh is gracious. Shadrach means something like a coup is exalted. That's another Babylonian God. Mishael means who is what God is, which just shows there's, there's no God like the one true God. His name gets changed to Meshach, meaning who is what a coup is, this Babylonian God. And then there's Azariah, means Yahweh has helped. Changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Nabu is another Babylonian god. 
So I want you to see the very names that are given to them sought to turn their focus from the one true God to adopt the pagan worship that's all around them. So here they are, immersed in Babylon, 13 to 16 years old. How do these guys refuse even the diet that Babylon is throwing at them? How do these guys have the, the courage to stand for God and be thrown into fiery furnaces? How do these guys have the fortitude? Daniel, how does that guy have the fortitude to be willing to be thrown into a lion's den? Out of faithfulness to the one true God. And I, I'm going to assert this. That they had to be discipled in the word of God by a faith community. God's people need each other. If you look throughout the Bible, if you look throughout church history, you're not going to find merely isolated individuals of faith. You're going to find a community of faith. Now, in America, we have lived in such an individualistic type of society that sometimes we transfer that over to our spiritual life and believe we've pursued Jesus on our own. But we need a faith family. I don't say we just want one. We need a faith family. There are pros and cons. I'm, I'm grateful for those who are even watching right now by our live stream. But there are pros and cons to, to having even a live stream. I think it's great for those who have ongoing health issues that they are able to to join us that way. I think it's great for uh, if you're sick for a week and you're out, you can join us that way. Or if you're traveling, those sorts of things. Those are great pros about having a live stream. But I also don't want to feed the idea that staying home in your PJs with your cup of coffee right there beside you and hearing a sermon but failing to interact with the people of faith is the same as gathering. Now, please don't hear, we're going to keep the live stream, okay? It does have lots of pros. But I also want to highlight that gathering in community is so important to us. And I understand, please hear me, there are those who simply can't. And I'm grateful that we can serve through that way with our live stream. That is a great thing. But if we can gather I just want you to see how desperately we need to gather. We gather together to worship together, to learn together, and to encourage one another, to disciple one another. Let's hear again Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. or here today for the first time. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now maybe we should ask, well, why does the author of Hebrews write that? Is it because he's filling out an annual report for his denomination and if he is going to advance in a denominational office, he needs good numbers present at the worship service? That is not why he's writing. He writes that because he has a pastoral heart and love for the people that he is shepherding. He knows there are dangers to believers when they fail to gather with the church. 
I want you to think of some of those things that most all of us have probably seen on shows like Animal Planet or something like that. Think about the, the plains of Africa. Say there is a lion who's very hungry and there's a pack of zebras. His hunting of the lion, the, hunt, the lion's hunting, it becomes significantly easier when he finds a zebra that's not attached to the pack. When it's away from the pack. I don't know if that's the right word for a herd of zebras. I don't know what it is. I guess I should have done more research there. But a zebra out on its own is an easy target. Satan, we, we heard Daniel read that this morning. Satan prowls around like a what? Roaring lion. And he's seeking to devour. And if we separate from the church, if we're not regularly gathering with the church for worship, discipleship, and encouragement, we become an easy target. And so I don't want to, we often make the mistake of focusing so much on the warning in that verse of failing to, to meet together. And I, I do, we need to hear the warning. That is important. But also don't want us to miss the good that comes from the gathering that we see in that verse. We see that we stir one another up to love. When I see you loving and worshiping God, my love for God gets stirred up. We stir one another up to love for God, for one another, and for this world. We stir one another up for good works. Our obedience to God is impacted by the obedience of one another. We are encouraged toward obedience. Listen, I need my church. I need the family of God. This world's not going to encourage you to live for Jesus. It's going to encourage you to live according to its values. The place on earth, the people on earth that are going to encourage you toward godliness is here. It's in the local church, and the local church is so important. Now you're saying, okay, we read Daniel 1. What in the world does everything you're saying have to do with these four Hebrew 13 to 16-year-olds in Babylon? And I think we can make a case that it's foundational to what we see in this chapter. It's foundational to what we see in this book. So our youth return from a disciple now weekend. We're talking about four youth, 13 through 16. We prayed. I, I prayed. I had really three prayer emphases this week for this weekend for our denials we were as i was leading into it prayed for young people to be saved i know there was some fasting and prayer going on amongst our youth team praise the lord for faithful faithful the uh, folks serving in that on that team prayed for young people to be saved i pray for those who are saved to be more conformed to the image of jesus and I pray they would have a greater resolve not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of their minds. So those prayers, that's going on this, this past weekend. This past Wednesday, I read an article by Chuck Lawless. Here's the title of it. Eight reasons some young people are walking away from their faith. Now, Chuck Lawless was a seminary professor of mine. He's He's a respected uh, leader. I'm grateful for him. 
But this is a fascinating article in light of Daniel 1 and in light of Disciple Now Weekend. Eight reasons some young people are walking away from their faith. Now, the first point is, is crucial. He says, number one, their faith was never really theirs in the first place. In other words, they weren't actually believers. So one who is not a genuine convert will walk away. But the next seven have a lot to do with what we're talking about today. A family of faith that encourages, disciples one another, and among whom we worship. So I want you to see uh, with among whom we worship our God. So I want you to see these next two. They've seen too much hypocrisy among believers. And Lawless made the point that sometimes parents are different people at church than in their real lives. Number three, they have never really been discipled themselves. Hear what uh, Lawless wrote. Even though they grew up in a Christian home, no one walked arm in arm with these believers to help them get grounded in their faith, to stand against the devil, and to walk in victory. They've had to figure it out largely on their own, and that's made them vulnerable. All right, so let's think about those two points. Let's think about... Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but I want you to think about them pre-Babylon. Now, if you're like me, you've often read the book of Daniel, you've admired the way these young men live faithfully in Babylon, but I have rarely considered their lives before. And I think we can speculate that there were faithful spiritual influences in the lives of these four youth. Rodney Stortz, in his commentary, introduced some ideas that I found really helpful about Daniel's parents and faith community. Now, there's some speculation with that because we're not told a word about Daniel's parents. But they do name him Daniel. That name Daniel means God is my judge, which suggests that they have a high view of God. And what they're saying to Daniel with naming him that way is, you will one day give an account before this God. Church, nobody has more influence in the lives of children than their parents. And I think if you see in Daniel 1, 13 to 16-year-old teens uprooted from their nation, uprooted from their family, thrown into a completely different culture where everything in that culture was pushing against them living for their God, we have good reason to believe parents train them in the Word of God. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is having them take classes at the Harvard University of Babylon so that they'll be immersed in the thoughts and values of Babylon. They're taking Babylonian literature, science, and you can be sure they're taking Babylonian religion classes. But those classes don't conform them to Babylon. They're living according to the kingdom of God in Babylon. And I think there's just a good case to be made that their parents had raised them up in the word. Parents in the room, you're the first disciplers of your kids. Life is busy. The days are long. And sometimes they can be very discouraging. But I want to encourage you, keep going. Your church family sees you. We see you training them in the Word of God. We see you getting them to church, coming to Awana, maybe even serving in Awana. 
Will you see you struggling against the competing priorities of the culture to prioritize getting them into church? Parents, keep going. It's worth it. Keep going. And can I just encourage some of our empty nesters, those of you who maybe have raised kids or are out of the home, would you find some young families this year to, to pray for, to encourage, to look for ways to, to bless them? As a faith family, that is important. So we see the, the impact of perhaps these young men's parents in their lives. And then I'll just say every believer needs a healthy church where the Bible is loved, taught, preached, and obeyed. We need this regular rhythm of worship through hearing God's word preached and participating in this community of faith that God has blessed us with. Make gathering in worship a greater priority. I want to give you the next three reasons that Lawless gave for young people walking away from the faith. Number four, they live in an ever-changing culture that gives them permission to live differently than their Christian upbringing demands. Here's what Lawless said. Culture now invites and welcomes deconstruction of faith. And here we see in Daniel 1, these four young men, they could have lived any way they wanted. Mom and daddy weren't in Babylon. They're back, they're back a long way away. Culture around them saying, live anyway, and, and listen, we'll let you live any way you want, and you'll be affirmed in it. And yet, they remain faithful throughout this book. So that's point number four. Point number five, they have never had anyone legitimately hear their questions, much less try to answer them. I just want to stop again and say I'm so thankful for our youth team, both those that went on the Disciple Now weekend and those that are ministering to them through the daily or the weekly rhythms of Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm thankful for our WANA leaders. I'm thankful for children's Sunday school teachers and all the other discipleship opportunities that our children and young people have. I'm thankful as a dad of four for you. I'm thankful as your pastor. Please hear that. But I'm thankful as a dad of four that my kids are getting to see and hear from other folks in our church that the Christian faith is number one in their lives, that Christ is central to their lives, and that they're hearing their questions, that they're answering their questions, that they're coming to them with the Word of God. I am so, so thankful. If I could just take my pastor hat off for a minute and just put dad hat on. Guys, college students, those that are parents, those that are empty nesters, I am so thankful as a dad to you all. So thankful. So again, church, if the D-Now chaperones are asleep, let them sleep. They've earned it this morning. Number six, this is, this is important. Why do they walk away? They had no real grounding in the Word. I cannot stress enough that a healthy church will seek to ground its people in the Word of God. In fact, a church that has the name church and does not value the Word of God cannot, cannot be a healthy church. The Word of God is crucial. The Word of God is our sole authority. It's our rule of faith and practice. And God's glory in this church is our ultimate purpose. 
We have a ministry staff with different personalities, but we have a common philosophy of ministry, and we just believe that we've got to give our people the Word of God. So we teach the Word of God to children, to youth, to college, and adults. This morning as we gather, we gather around the preaching of the Word of God. I think this sets the tone for who we are as a people, what is valued on Sunday mornings. And central is the preaching of the Word. Even when we had our testimony service a couple of weeks ago, we still heard from the Word of God. Now, is that for my ego? And I want to say this. I hope not. I have a conviction that the Word of God is central. And nothing forms the church like this book. Now, preaching is not all we need, but preaching God's Word is essential to a healthy church. And by the way, when we had those testimonies two weeks ago, there was so much Scripture that those who are giving their testimonies gave. I'm so encouraged by that. We say, well, isn't singing important? Absolutely. We sing the Word of God. We sing truths about our God, about His character, about what He has done for us. Singing is so crucial. We sing week by week as well. Well, you say, you know, I, I can't... I can't recall many sermons. I can't give you a lot of quotes from the sermons I've heard. So can it really be that important? Let me ask you all. What did you have for dinner Monday night? If you're like me, no clue. Right? Can't remember. But I do know that food filled my belly and gave me the energy that I needed. And if physical food does that, how much more our spiritual food? So let me come back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, these, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did they have a healthy faith community built on God's word? Let me take you back. Here's this exile. The exile took place because people had disregarded the word of God, because people had rejected God. If you go back to 2 Kings 22, verse 8. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Church, this is stunning. The book of the law, which is the word of God, had been so forsaken that the high priest had to find it. The high priest, who's supposed to know the word of God, perhaps better than anybody else in Israel, has to find it. So they found it. And there's a young king on the throne named Josiah, and he wants to turn the nation back to God. So in verses 13, uh, verse 13, he says, Go inquire the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And what does King Josiah see there? He sees that God's judgment is coming because this people has not heard and obeyed the word of God. So what happens? In chapter 23, And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. 
to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined in the covenant. Now, why bring all this up in the context of Daniel chapter 1? Well, Daniel's pre-exile timeline likely coincided with these reforms that Josiah brings. Now listen, Israel's sin is still so great that they do go into exile, but there's a believing remnant of people in this nation who have turned back to God and who are seeking to obey Him. So we can speculate that perhaps Daniel was raised in a community of faith of like-minded people where God's word was treasured, where people did seek to live in obedience to the word of God. That sounds like a healthy church environment where God's word is revered, where God's word is heard, where God's word brings repentance, where God's word is sought to be obeyed. If we are a community like that, we take our responsibility to disciple one another seriously. There's the power influ- powerful influence of parents, the powerful influence of a healthy church, and the powerful influence of a devoted small group. We need corporate worship, where we come in this together, we worship together, we hear the word of God. And we need small group discipleship. Can we just rejoice, church family? I don't know if you saw the report in the Dixie call. We had 162 people in Sunday school last week. That's a at least a five-year high as far as we can tell. Are you involved in a Sunday school class that's regularly unpacking God's Word together? If not, can I encourage you to get involved in one of those? But then we can also have a a small group type discipleship where we dig into the Word with three to however many other believers at different times. 2 Timothy 2.2 2, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see four generations of discipleship there. On Tuesday morning, I arrived at the church somewhere around 7.45. A group of men were gathered in one of the rooms studying the word of God together. When I left that night at around 6, a group of women had gathered together in the fellowship hall, studying a book, helping them to grow in their faith. Here are two groups focused on discipleship and accountability that are meeting outside normal church hours to help each other grow in the faith. I love it. We need it. Seventh reason lawless witness uh, are, are listed said they're dealing with sin in their lives. And he said this, sometimes young people walk in another direction in their beliefs because they've already walked that way in their actions. And a good discipleship group helps us to walk away from sin and walk toward Jesus. Let's go back to Daniel. He makes this courageous request not to eat the king's food. How does a 13 to 16 year old have the courage to make a request that defies the king's decree? These four teens, they arrived in Babylon. But they arrived together in Babylon. I want you to see them standing together. They received new names together. 
but they remain faithful to their old identities as the people of God together. Regardless of what people called them, they stood for God together. Now we said last week there's likely other Jews who were transported to Babylon who should have been under the same Mosaic food laws who likely compromised. Daniel proposed a test. I think we see that. He leads in that. But it's easy to miss that he doesn't take the test alone. I want you to hear that you see it on the screen. I want you to hear it that there are plural nouns and pronouns all through this. Here's what he says. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days, over and over. Plural nouns, plural pronouns. These guys stood for God together. Church, we are not isolated individuals. We are a body. We are a family. We are a people. We are meant to encourage one another. We are meant to sharpen one another. We see these four uprooted from everything comfortable in life and brought into a very uncomfortable situation where the culture is saying, live however you want, yet they stand for God. And they do so together. And if we are going to resist this world that we're immersed in, that's drawing us, that's calling out to us, and if we're going to pursue God's kingdom, we need one another. Paul says something twice in 1 Corinthians that could sound so arrogant if he meant it in a certain way. Two times in 1 Corinthians, he says, imitate me or be imitators of me. Here in 1 Corinthians 4.16, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul means nothing arrogant about that. What does he mean? He means that we sometimes need to see the faith modeled to us. I have coached baseball and basketball. The other day I was working with Silas. Don't think of mommy saying it. Working on to a between the legs dribble. Now listen, I could have written out on a piece of paper the steps to do a between the legs dribble. And that probably wouldn't have done much good. But sometimes you just need to say, hey, watch me. Let me show you, or let's do this together at the same time. I think that's something like what Paul is meaning here. I'm going to live the faith. I want you to imitate what you're seeing in me. So I got a couple of questions for you. The first one's not that hard. might be hard. Maybe it's not that convicting. Who are you watching to imitate? Do you have heroes of the faith, people that you look to that have lived out the faith well and you're watching them and you see how they model it and you're, you're trying to live that? Think about those people. But then there's a second question. This one's a lot harder. If someone was to imitate you, a little tougher, isn't it? Are they growing more like Jesus 
or more like the world. And that's not a conviction on you, okay? I think there are lots of people who I'm speaking to this morning are seeking to follow Jesus full force. So please don't hear that as I'm looking at you and you're in trouble. That's not what I'm saying at all. But it's calling us to live such a life that it's worthy of imitation. Now, I think we see this here in this chapter, in Daniel chapter 1. I think you have Daniel, who seems to be the leader of this group, right? He seems to be the leader of these four guys. He is the one that's proposed the food test. But if you flip over to Daniel chapter 3, you don't get mention of Daniel. Daniel's not there. Now, I don't know where he is. He may be on an errand in the king's court. But you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and basically a similar test. Are they going to bow down and worship this image? Now, Daniel's not there to say, no, no, we're not going to do that. But Daniel's faith is now being imitated by these three young men. They say, you can throw us in the fiery furnace if you want, but we're not going to bow down. And that's exactly what happened. These three guys stand firm for the Lord, will not compromise and I think that's largely as they do that together, but also an imitation of Daniel's faith. Finally, last, last thing on the list of Lawless's eight reasons youth walk away from the church. This one's tragic. They found a stronger community outside the church than within. Here's what Lawless says. They found friends, fun, and fellowship with, with others, things they for some reason did not get in the church. We know their community with others might be fleeting, but their eyes are on the immediate rather than the long term. And I want to say to youth, to middle-aged, my age, to young families, to senior adults in this room. If you are a believer, the place you belong most is with the people of God, is with the church. Those who believe like you. Those who have the same desires as you. And those with whom you're going to spend all of eternity. And we should be such a community of faith that there is such a powerful sense of unity and love and being accepted, being encouraged, being discipled. I'm going to use an outdated reference for people probably under 40, maybe under 50 in this room, okay? Some of you will get it. In the 80s, there was a sitcom called Cheers, and it was set almost entirely in a bar. Now, sitcoms in those days, for those of you on the front pews, they had theme songs. And the song lyrics to that sitcom are memorable. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Now, I often encourage you to look at culture and see yearnings for the gospel. I want you in that very theme song to see the yearning for the community that only the church can give. That theme song is saying there's unity in a bar around alcohol. That is not lasting. That is not fulfilling. That will not bring great meaning to their lives. Everybody, though, wants to belong to a community where they're loved and cared for. Even sports team will say, we are a family because they're finding that community. 
But church, it is so fleeting. But what we have here in the church, what we have here in the local church and then the global church, the historic church is a community that does not just last through our vapor of a lifetime. It lasts for all eternity. And if you are in that community, you have a place where you belong now and forever. And church, you are loved. And I know you love one another. Let's continue loving one another with the Word of God and the Gospel of Christ. I am so grateful for Dixie Baptist Church. Let us pray. Father, thanks for our time and your word this morning. Thank you for giving the local church. What a gift it is. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Do we have our faults? Absolutely. But God, I am so thankful to belong to a local church family like this one. I love my church, God. I thank you for my church. And God, I pray that we would worship together regularly, that we would dive into your word regularly. I pray, Lord, that we would encourage one another regularly. God, thank you for this community of faith. May your blessing be upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.